Welcome to Welcome to the Hallwell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we are here to discuss Season 2, Episode 9. Nine, right? Nine, yeah. Okay, of Charmed, Ms. Hellfire. Ms. Hellfire. Now, just to be clear, in our last episode, when I previewed this episode, I said we were going to be doing Heartbreak City, the Cupid episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's the order they are on Google Play, where I purchased this season after it came off of Netflix. Mm -hmm. But that seems to have been a mistake, because that's not even the production order. The next episode is Ms. Hellfire. I don't know what's going on with Google Play. All right, well. But that's why I previewed the wrong episode. So next time we'll talk about Cupids. This time we're talking about shows that wish they were alias. This is, this is a contemporary of Alias, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it's clearly what they were going for in this episode. Which, God, I can't... Is this a spoiler for Time Freeze right off the bat? I can't think of anything more specifically dated than Alias. Yeah, yeah. It, it, is, it is very much a product of its time. It was incredibly popular for about three weeks in the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, it seems kind of mean. I mean, it did help launch J.J. Abrams. Yay. Mm. <laughs> uh, and it was uh, big in the rising star of... Um... Jennifer Garner? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think she was already... I mean, she was in Electra. <laughs> and she was like the... I don't want to say rebound, but rebound for, you know, Jennifer Lopez... Yeah, right. For, well, for Ben Affleck after he left Jennifer Lopez and everyone made jokes about him only dating women named Jennifer. Right. Because it was Benifer and then it still was Benifer. Mm-hmm. They were married for not an insignificant amount of time. I, okay. Weren't they? They, they were together for a while. I yeah, feel. they were together for a while. I just know that Jennifer Garner was also on Felicity oh, before. The Time Traveling Wood Show. You brought it up, so we're going to tell that story, but I've probably told it already, so if you've heard the story... Take a drink. Take a drink. Uh, But I had been told that Felicity had a time travel plot, and I love time travel stories, so I watched all of Felicity, and I had been given to understand that there was, like, an entire season that involved time travel, but no, it's a single episode, and it's, like... The penultimate episode. So I watched the whole series for that. Was it worth it? No. Yeah, I also thought that it was the whole last season of Felicity that was a time travel thing. But instead it was just one of those weird series finales, like the time door thing from the end of Mad About You. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Which, uh, we we could conceivably do a whole podcast just talking about weird final episodes of stuff. Ooh, I'd love to do that. Mm. Ooh, I would love to do a podcast about finales. Ooh. You know I've been wanting to put out a Christmas episode podcast for a while, but just as like a special one-off mini podcast. Yeah. Assuming I I get around to doing that, when that's done, we should do a little mini podcast about final episodes. Mm, Because there's some doozers. Doozers? I I, I got stuck between uh, doozies and... I don't know, a different <laughs> word, but... Okay, let's talk about this episode, though, which was written by Constance M. Burge and Cheryl J. Anderson. 
really this is a constance m burge episode yeah you don't expect it do you no 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 i can i can see cheryl j anderson you finally got around to reading her book right i read a bit of it i it was like murder on high heel express or something it's called killer heels and i just i can't get into it i don't care about anyone in the book like they the book hasn't made me care about anyone is it uh is it like friends from college then yeah that was the same problem i had with that tv show i just i didn't care about any of the characters i i know speaking of stories we've probably told before I think it's really impressive that the writers or whoever from Friends with College got a cast that talented and made a show that was just unwatchable. Yes, it, it is. It is an impressive feat. You know who else managed to do that? Space Force. Oh my god, yeah. Like... I just, I remember trying to watch that with you and just zoning out for long periods of time because it just felt like nothing was happening. Just nothing. We should talk about Ms. Hellfire. Oh, it was uh, directed by, I should say, it was directed by Craig Zisk. It sounds kind of familiar. Have we have we seen him before? Uh, we have seen him before. He directed Witch Trial, the first episode of this season. Oh, jeez. God. Ugh. But also, and this is, he, he directed a couple episodes of The Office, and I bring this up because when I was listening to the Office Ladies podcast, as I do, mm. they mentioned him and mentioned a thing about him that I hadn't realized, which is that he was one of the producers of Cop Rock. Wow. Cop Rock. Speaking of uh, series finales. Oh, we definitely need to do the Cop Rock series finale if we do final episode podcast. I mean, that's like, honestly, the... The main sin of Cop Rock was coming out a little too early. Yes, honestly, I feel like the sweet spot for Cop Rock would have been, like, 2011. Because right now, I, I just, I don't want to watch a, a musical about cops. Mm. And before, it was just a little too weird for what people were ready to watch. Oh, I was thinking, like, earlier than that, like, in the wake of Glee, like, after Glee had had its, like, killer preview, mm. would have been a great time to drop Cop Rock. Yeah, that would have that would have worked, too. Instead of in the... Like, it was trying to capitalize off of... What, what was that show? Like, Hill Street Blues or... Yeah, well, it's uh, it's in the Hill Street Blues universe. Mm. Is, even is though LA it's... Law, too? Those are shows I associate I with each other, even though... I think LA might be although i wouldn't swear to that it's a little outside of my area of knowledge i know they were the big shows but when when i was you know coming of age and before that honestly uh, law and order was the law show that you know everyone watched and cared about and it should have kept going they had the perfect formula but mm, i digress I don't, that's the thing I don't like about SVU, because SVU's, like, the only Law & Order show that's still running now. Yeah. I, and, like... Every episode doesn't need to be special victims. Yeah, like, they need to throw in, oh, and by the way, even though this is our Black Lives Matter episode, maybe someone, you know, got groped in a back room while all of this was happening, so we have a reason to loop in the special victims unit, and it's like... No. Yeah, no. I no. mean, there's enough 
gratuitous sexual assault in television shows without making a TV show where, by design, every episode has to contain a sexual assault. Oh, that's uncomfortable making. No. No. Also, Olivia Benson has gone through, like, four kids in that show. At, 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 I'm looping us back to Charmed. At a certain point, you have to stop recycling scripts. Mm. Yeah. Because I, I find myself watching old Law and Orders, and I'm like, okay, wait, Olivia has a kid. Which kid is it? Is it the one that she ends up with? Because she gets temporary custody multiple times over the course of that show. Of course, it ran for it is running for, like, decades at this point. Charmed. Sorry. Charmed. Ms. Hell. Ms. Hellfire. Ms. Hellfire. Because uh, it's the 90s. We're feminists now. Women can be assassins as long as they wear, you know, like leather tube tops. But women can be assassins. Feminist assassins. Well, considering that... By the way, this uh, this episode is about assassins. Or an assassin. Yes. Just a heads up on that front. I was going to say, considering that Prue seems to think that you should wear a tube top to be a... Auction what, what is house it that she does? Person. Curation. I, whatever it is that she does. Then... I think she's an appraiser. Yes, that's right. Appraiser. Considering that Prue thinks you should wear a tube top to be an appraiser, maybe this isn't an anti-feminist thing so much as it's just the world of Charmed. Of course, she also has to, you know, she basically runs the auction house. Uh, I, The politics of Prue's workplace make me so frustrated. I'm, I'm looking forward to when she no longer works at Buckland's. It's coming up pretty soon, I think. I, I'm pretty sure it's it's in season two, though I don't know for certain. I just know it's very, very sudden. Yeah. Yeah, it is. This is actually a really big mythology episode. You wouldn't think it, but it reintroduces a very significant character and make sure that you know that he is going to come back mm. even after this point and it is the introduction of the girls getting secondary powers oh yes yes it is i hadn't thought about that but hmm. especially because who would you say has the more significant secondary power piper or phoebe because uh, i want to give it to oh Pi- piper definitely i want to blows it... people up yeah she's got like she ends up getting the, basically, the ultimate finisher move. Mm-hmm. I was talking, not not about Phoebe's levitation, though. I guess it's her tertiary power. The empathy. Oh, Because well, that freaking takes over for, like, the season when she gets it. I feel like Phoebe gets assigned new powers and then they kind of get dismissed. So I can't really give her the edge as far as powers go. Well, her empathy was just so broken because it's like... She can feel what other people are feeling, and also she can psychically locate people, and she can channel other people's powers by channeling their emotions. And I'm like, I feel like only some of this is what empathy actually is. I know we should save this for several seasons from now when she gets her empathy power, but... I feel like, you know, initially they gave her levitation, and I feel like they realized and i don't know that this is true but i assume that they realized that it both didn't look great and was probably pretty expensive to do and they were like um just kidding instead she has a power that's super powerful but also doesn't require anything to show on screen they call it matt parkmaning yes speaking of jj abrams 
No, but remember, there is a plot later where she gets stripped of her powers because apparently the flying stuff was too expensive. I, mean, I was just making the assumption that it was too expensive. I didn't know that that was the case. I, I, I can assume that if there's a thing where a magical character loses a power that might involve firework, there could be a reason for that. There, there's a reason that uh, Clark Kent basically doesn't fly for all of Smallville. Okay, but that's not an expense issue. That was a rights issue. Okay, I know they were working against the whole Warner Brothers not owning Superboy. So, Smallville, they had the rights to Superboy, not Superman. Uh, and oh, initially, so an thing. yes, and initially their agreement was that they could not show the costume or have him fly. But they could have him levitate, which he did do sometimes. And they, you know, pretty much showed the costume. Just not the, you know, the full costume. But they... Well, they... yeah, in the, in the last shot of the series, after he's already burned through a couple of secret identities. Oh, but also they kind of like disney bound the costume you know where he was wearing yeah like he had like a blue shirt that he wore a red jacket over and yeah he wore outfits that hinted at the costume but yeah that he wasn't allowed to fly and he wasn't allowed to have the costume although yes they did eventually get clearance to do it at the end it's kind of funny that smallville sort of i feel like i'm overusing this set the stage for a lot of the cw superhero shows in sort of the casual cosplayness of costumes and really making mo- all the superheroes sexy teens well really more significantly putting green arrow in the role of batman because you can't afford batman oh i hadn't thought about that but yes that's exactly what happens yeah because technically the cw superhero universe thing is the Arrowverse because arrow was the first show and arrow is what you do if you're like can't really commit to batman so green arrow he's basically batman it's fine it's fine he's basically batman but with arrows i do have to say i was really excited when they brought in aquaman that they had him be a swimmer for university of miami so that his colors would match i was just so excited i was like oh my god those are aquaman's colors that's amazing we haven't talked about a single second of this episode yet okay but quickly before we do did you know that there was a soft, uh, that was sort of a soft backdoor pilot for an Aquaman show? I did know that, yes. Called Mercy Reef? I did, in fact, know that. I just wanted to work the name of the, uh, <laughs> I'm so mad that that didn't get off the ground. That would have been great. I think I have the, pi- I had the pilot, like, back in high school. Back when, you know, you could find that sort of thing on the internet if you were willing to look. But, uh. You know which backdoor pilot I wish had gotten taken up? The Mermaids pilot for... The Mermaids backdoor pilot that we're going to see on Charmed. I don't think that's true, but thank you for uh, looping it back. Although... What? Oh, now you're going to talk about the Sirens TV show. You're just getting me into another pivot. I wish that that thing where... They were a real-life band, right? Yes. It was like Fergie's real-life band before the Black Eyed Peas... They tried to pitch them having a TV show that was basically Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except instead of slayers, they were mermaids who could walk on land and had, like, 
mer fighting powers. Well, they they were sirens, right? So they're the Greek mythological creatures that sing and thus bring men to their doom. Except in this case, they were like good guys. Yeah, they were defending the world from the show's vampires, which were evil fishmen that turned into water when you stake them. And also, the sirens were in a band, and that's how they got. You know, that's how they traveled around the country to find the evil fishmen. And I'm so mad. That this never became an actual TV show because, God, just from the footage they shot for it, Fergie has to, like, be thinking her lucky stars all the time. The singer, obviously, not the Duchess. (laughs) Charmed. So, Prue is on the phone. She is, speaking of her secondary power, she is just stretched thin. She needs there to be more than one of her. It feels like we've been here before. Well, But with Prue, I feel like Prue is working harder in this opening sequence than we've ever seen her work at her job before. I mean, last episode was basically her constantly blowing off her job for the whole episode. Again, Jack Sheridan's a real piece of shit. But, you know, at least he shows up and does his job. Which is also Prue's job. Yeah. One reason Prue might be so driven right now is that there's a new vice president at Buckland's that she wants to impress and he has called an emergency work meeting at 9 30 she needs to be there or she'll be fired which how is she not at work I was gonna say that sounds harsh the way they say it but she should be at work (laughs) also also I mean I know capitalism is gonna capitalism but Shouldn't the new vice president be like, this is Prue. She's our only functional employee. Or she was at least our only functional employee until we hired Jack Sheridan. Like, she's basically been single-handedly keeping the company aloft on her bare naked shoulders for the past year or so. Right? Anyway, this scene of workplace strife entering the home is interrupted when someone shoots the crap out of their living room. Yeah, somebody starts sending bullets through the windows. Piper With, with a gun, not like... Not with magic, yes. Yeah. I mean, we don't know that because we only see the bullets flying, but yes, with a gun. We get one of the... I feel like it's one of the iconic shots of the show, which is Piper using her powers to freeze the bullets so she can dive behind the couch to be with her sisters. Yeah. Phoebe makes a joke about how maybe it's the mailman, which is, like... Speaking of the 90s, does anyone remember the whole murder mailman craze that was going on for a while there? Was that rooted in anything? I mean, there were actual, a couple of instances with mailmen shooting places up, but then I think it was exacerbated by the edgelord video game postal postal right yeah Ugh. which by the way was made into a movie directed by Uwe bull oh so you know it's quality ah <laughs> uh. that's do you... i mean i get if if you're an edgelord video game person who made an edgelord video game like postal you probably don't care that Uwe bull is making your you know video game movie but you have to imagine if it's something you've put that much effort into hearing oh we're making a movie adaptation and yui bull is directing it to be like it's a real monkey's paw situation yeah you're like oh i'm probably gonna get paid pretty well doesn't he have that weird thing where like russia pays him to make movies that lose money it's like a government-sponsored producers thing or something yeah no he he 
he does a thing where he sells stock in his movies. Basically, he's running the real-life producer's grift on all of his movies. Yes. There's a weird sequence that happens right now in the episode Mm -hmm. where they're like, okay, Piper frees time. Prue is like, I'm going to use my telekinesis. Phoebe, you run up and kick them. And they, like, really quickly come up with a plan and we see how well they work together as sisters. Except then... That's not what they do. I mean, to be fair, they're expecting the assassin to come in the front door, but instead she comes in the back door. And instead of what they all just said, she fires the gun at them and Prue just brute forces the bullets back at her, killing her. Yeah, Prue just telekinesis the bullets right back at her and, uh uh-oh, Sydney Briscoe is dead. This woman is definitely uh, biting Sydney Briscoe's uh, stelio. I'm just impressed that Prue is able to throw the bullets with the force of a gun, even as she's working against the trajectory that they were fired at. Like, well, bullets are pretty small. Yeah, but she's got to have, like, twice the force that she would need. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm impressed that mm. she can throw bullets with the force of a gun with her telekinesis. Sydney Bristow was the main character of Alias, if you were wondering about that reference. Oh, yes, of course. It's It's been a really long time since anyone's watched Alias, I'm assuming. Aw. I've never actually watched Alias, but I, I used to read a bunch of, like, a, I, I would frequent Goodwill just to pick up, like, really cheap books. Uh-huh. So I had a bunch of novelizations of episodes of Alias because they did that thing where you turn episodes of TV shows into, you know kind of crappy books okay so that must have been interesting because one of the things that really annoyed me about alias which i did watch is that they structured the episodes in a really weird way the episodes would end on a cliffhanger and then be resolved in the first half of the next episode and then that episode the second half would feel like the first half of a different episode end on a cliffhanger and then the next episode resolve that cliffhanger in the first half sets up a new episode it was a really annoying episode structure the only thing i remember about the books was in the first one she starts pretending to work at a bank but she's actually working at a secret government thing and it turns out her dad's not dead and he's he's actually running it yes those those things are both Pivotal to the plot of Alias. Yeah. Yes. That's what I remember from the first book. And there was a second book where she was looking for some sort of doomsday clock. Yes. That's also what happens in Alias. Those those are both things that happen in Alias. The There's a, there's a dead assassin in the Hollowell's front living room. And that brings us to credits. Uh-oh. I guess not the front living room, sort of the She's side kinda hall. Like back in the kitchen, like in the hallway between the living room and the kitchen. Prue threw those bullets at her real hard. That's what I was saying! Yeah. That was my point! Also, is is I guess there is a back door. We did Yeah, find... we know that there's a back door. We know that there's a kitchen door. Yeah, we found that out in the like kid with the magic wand episode because mm-hmm. that's where they made neighbor Jenny leave and she just never came back. It's true, she didn't. So there's just a corpse in their house, and they decide that the first thing you should do with a corpse, logically, is, you know, raid them for, you know, precious objects. Well, Lo- loot the corpse. They're looting the corpse. Okay, so 
they loot the corpse and they discover that she has a bunch of different passports, a bunch of foreign money. They actually even say that she has a bunch of different aliases. Mm-hmm. And they also discover this tube of lipstick with a teeny tiny knife in it it's the teeniest <laughs> knife ever what is it is she a paid assassin who's going around killing mice it's <laughs> the least effective weapon i can think of what is she doing with this teeny tiny lipstick knife i legitimately don't see how you could kill anyone with that it's so tiny it's like smaller than an exacto blade kind of it might be around the size of an it seems like it would be difficult to kill someone with that. <laughs> yes. So. Prue is sad because she killed a mortal and that's bad. And she says that this is the first time she's ever killed a mortal, which I feel like isn't right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we may have driven the our warlocks mortals thing into the ground by now. But also they are basically just human people who did horrible things to get superpowers. They're like... I'm, I'm just glad that Prue doesn't get too worked up about this because I don't feel like there's much difference killing a warlock who's trying to attack you and killing an assassin who's shooting bullets at you. I It reminds me of Buffy, of course, where when Faith kills the deputy mayor, all of a sudden that's a huge problem. Mm. Even though he was an evil person serving an evil snake who was obviously trying to kill them. Hey, Buffy, you remember how you uh, resolved that whole Billy Fordham situation? Like, how'd that, how'd that wrap up? Oh, no, no, that's different. She just let vampires kill him. She didn't do it herself. Whatever. And, the you know, by the time the Dawn stuff rolls around, she's just running knights over with a Winnebago all willy-nilly. Knights that were technically trying to save the world. I mean, they were jerks about it, so whatever. But The girls find the assassin's daily planner. Where she has listed out all of the people she's going to kill. Okay, I should have looked this up first, but this feels really, really heavily like it's borrowing from the Flying Hellfish episode of The Simpsons. (laughs) I mean, I don't think that that is what is happening. (laughs) But she does have a little Rolodex daily planner where she has listed out a bunch of different names that are all crossed out, except for the Hallowells. And one other name. Dreama Moonsbane. Florinda Flowerchild. Yeah, so by the way, there are 13 people listed here, including, you know, the three Hallowell sisters. Hmm, doesn't that sound kind of familiar? And today is Friday the 13th. (laughs) Yeah. Remember when Piper thought that Grams was sending her signs by, like, throwing ladybugs at a dude? Oh, yeah. How, like, completely disconnected she was from the Barbus plot last time. I forgot that that was the Barbus episode. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, whoever is coming back this episode, it could be anyone. It could be Victor Hollowell before he became Victor Bennett. When he was still a bad guy. Yeah. The book has the girl's powers listed. It says Prue, Telekinesis, Piper, Freezing, Phoebe negligible dang i mean he probably should have given uh, her a heads up about the premonition thing like it didn't come in handy here Mm -hmm. but you know in general and you know what i forgot this is a mythology episode for another big reason 
Oh, this is where Daryl finds out what their deal is? Yeah, because when you got a corpse in your house, who do you call but Daryl? Oh my god, they had to do this when Andy died, didn't they? Oh, yeah, because Andy was dead in their house. They had to call Daryl and be like... This is bare minimum the second dead body Daryl's had to remove from their houses. I... I mean, I'm assuming Andy was the one who mostly did the dead body removal before. Yeah. You know. So Daryl's like, okay, what happened here? And Phoebe's like, we're witches. This is, this is, it's gotten ridiculous. So I'm just going to tell you we're witches. She's an assassin who was trying to kill us. So we used our powers to send bullets into her body instead. Yeah. Uh, we're witches. Witches exist. And uh, de- there, there's a demon. Demons exist too. And Daryl's like, oh. Is that the reason why that woman with the prehensile tongue jumped at me and survived being shot like a dozen times? I feel like this is already information I should have probably pieced together myself, but fine. <laughs> okay, this episode has some golden Daryl moments in it. Mm-hmm. It is sort of the birth of his, I, I guess it I guess it factored in earlier, his I really don't want to know what the situation is thing. Which is not really a trait that you expect to see in a detective but okay carry on <laughs> yeah like because he did he did make it clear earlier on in this season where he's like look i know that you're around a lot of weird stuff i know that you helped andy with weird cases so i'm gonna keep on relying on you for weird stuff but i don't want to know what the situation is and then they're like there's a corpse in her house and we're witches and now you have to know this even though you didn't want to. And he's like, I don't want any of this information. I, I, I don't need to know any of this stuff. Please stop telling me. Please stop. Oh, poor Daryl. Things are just going to get worse for you. So, Miss Hellfire, by the way, I, I respect and admire her organization. She also has in her daily planner, 10 o'clock, blow this woman up with plastic explosives. I feel like I probably would have put the Charmed Ones, like, first. It feels like they'd be the most difficult. You want to get them by surprise. Like, what are the chances that they would have heard about all of the other murders happening? They really should have. Mm. Yeah, usually they're pretty abreast of killing sprees. Nine other women were killed before they even realized what was happening. We don't talk about any of those other women. Huh. Anyway, Daryl's going to go find this woman before she gets blown up with plastic explosives. And uh, Prue's going to go to work. Thanks, Prue. Well, I mean, she does need to impress the new boss. Yeah. The new boss is like, sit down, coffee's for closers. We're having a sales contest, and first prize is steak knives, and second prize is you're fired. It's Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't you want to, like, get lower than second <laughs> lower than second but presumably not last yes i yes anyway prue comes in late and okay what he actually says is almost as ridiculous as is what i just said which is that everyone needs to bring in a hundred thousand dollars in new accounts today or they're fired a- auction material yeah in the next 24 hours, or they're fired. Okay. Okay, so not only is this just an awful plot point, 
it's one that they've used multiple times. Remember when Claire from the bank took over? Oh, yeah. She and, also made prove. Well, in that case, she's like, you have to throw an auction that makes $100,000 or whatever. Or, you know, I'm going to burn this building down with everyone inside. Like, this is something we've seen before. I honestly really like the auction house conceptually as a story engine for Prue. Well, it's hardly ever used in the way that would be interesting. Like, in the painting episode, that's the show using the auction house to its best effect, right? Somebody comes in to sell a painting, the painting is cursed, the girls are sucked into the painting. But for the most part, it's just a thing that keeps Prue busy and brought Jack Sheridan into our orbit. I hate him. Like, structurally, there's really not a difference between the auction house and later Phoebe's column which should be in completely different orbits career-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the function is just a work thing that keeps you busy from life stuff. Yes, that's the thing, right? She works at an auction house. An auction house that was owned by demons previously. It should be a plot driver, not a complication. Maybe they were scared after the really terrible subplot in that one episode, which should have been good but wasn't, where Phoebe was temporarily working for her and she got a premonition off of that missing girl's necklace. That was really weird because that plot had a beginning and an end and no middle. Yeah, like she gets the premonition, she like she finds the necklace, she gets the premonition, hard cut to them finding the girl and they're like, we looked it up. It's like feels like this was more of a plot at some point but we're not here to relitigate that uh, no we're here to talk about all right you don't have to find a hundred thousand dollars of auctionable material on your own everybody is partnered up and prue is partnered with jack sheridan which makes her so sad that she literally leaves her body rather than have to talk to him Yes, this is the first appearance of Prue's secondary mutation. I'm sorry, I, I've been fighting the urge to say that, I think, probably pretty unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. But yes, Prue has got her secondary power, astral projection, sort of. We've talked before how everyone has the wrong power, right? Yeah, this should be Phoebe's. Phoebe should have astral projection, but no, Prue has astral projection. Ish. She, she projects to the other side of the room to talk to Piper. And then she, like, goes back into her body, acts very weird with Jack, and is like, ugh, I don't feel well. I know we just got a huge ultimatum from our boss, but, uh, oh, well, your problem now. You don't want to get fired. You better get on that. Bye. Okay, so the reason I'm loath to call it astral projection, which- Even though that is what the show calls it. Even though that's what the show calls it, is because- her second body that she projects herself into is physical. Yeah, that's not right. Yeah, it's, she's not, she's not projecting an astral form. She's creating a duplicate of herself that she controls remotely. You're right. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I get that that doesn't roll off the tongue, but... And that astral projection would probably require you to, like, build a set that is the astral plane. It would probably be full of smoke and lights and be too expensive. they could just hang out on top of the Golden Gate Bridge like they do when they introduce the elders as characters. 
So, meanwhile, Phoebe is with Daryl, and they are finding the final victim, the other victim that's not the three girls. Yes, uh, they need to stop this lady from getting all blowed up, because obviously if a demon wants it, it's bad. Also, it's probably well, a good I mean, thing to stop, you know, people from getting blown yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't need to explain why a person should not be blown up. I think that's that's a fairly straightforward thing. This is one of the uh, few times in the show where it really feels like they're in San Francisco. Just because of the whole hilly nature of this car mm. racing to... Yeah, I mean, it's a... Daryl and Phoebe are in the car, and it is a rear projection where they're just filmed in the car and the the background is projected behind them. But they are really jostling the car up and down a lot to show how hilly the street is. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. It's a really little touch, but it's one I appreciate. I also love how Phoebe's like, so do you want to, like, know stuff about witches? Do you want to know if we fly on broomsticks? And Daryl's like, I'm trying to drive to a woman to stop her from blowing up. Please stop talking to me. And, you know... They, they get there just in time. Daryl tackles the lady out of the way. Yeah, okay, she's opening the door that has the bomb attached to it. It sure is taking me a long time to turn this knob. Yeah, so just as they get there, by the way, the door is the door to her store, which is a New Age bookstore. And Daryl jumps and, as you said, pushes her out of the way. And this character makes me so sad. She's like, it worked. I cast a protection spell on myself and look. I was protected. And it's like, oh, is she a witch too? But apparently she's not a witch. Except she needs to be a witch for the plot to work. Yeah, the plot, the demon's plan involves killing 13 witches. But she's not a real witch. She's just a Wiccan practitioner. So that shouldn't work for the ritual sacrifice. But also it's sad because it's, this show resisting building up a deep bench of characters who are into Wicca, who are practitioners but not of the Charmed Ones levels, that they could draw on for information, if not power. This is what genuinely made me surprised that this episode was co-written by Constance M. Burge. Because it seemed like she would want to build that community. Yeah. Yeah. Also... The last Barbas episode had two, just two really cool witch characters who, granted, you know, died so that, you know, Barbas could get more of his sacrifices. But I was kind of hoping that this would be more of that situation, even though I remembered this character and I knew that she wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So I just, I, I think about other magical books where there's a magical world and, like, magicians, the books, which... Uh, okay, I'm really cold on the books. I read all three of them and I'm cold on them. And then I loved the TV series. That usually doesn't happen like that. Mm. Uh, but also, I really love the way they built up the world with hedge witches, with magical practitioners who are not, like, formally trained magicians. It's It makes the world feel real. Here, we don't really get that. And we could so easily have that. You're in San Francisco! You could have a coven. I think that I, I know we're just running over old talking points again, but I think that there are things that the magician's books mm-hmm. do a lot better than the TV show. But I think that those things also kind of require 
a written narrative to get to that, you know, point. You mean the way that they show how magic is, like, hard and grueling and honestly kind of boring sometimes? Yeah, like, that magic is this very thankless task that, you know, how persnickety it is. It Magic is not fun in the books the way it is in the TV show. Right, but you couldn't really do that in a TV show. But also stuff like Alice's fight with the Beast, which the a lot of the end of the first book, which I think makes it work really well, but mm-hmm. a lot of the end of the first book is realizing that Quentin, despite being the main character of the book, is not the protagonist. Alice sure. is the protagonist. And you really get to see that in the last scene with her fight against the beast mm-hmm. and you get to really see like it's such a cool moment for alice and it's such not that in the tv show because the tv show was like look everyone needs their own narrative and we don't really get the whole thing where quentin realizes he's been seeing the world from this very narrow perspective because we've been trapped in his head for the whole book and it kind of recontextualizes well, alternatively, the Alice as a Niffin stuff in the third book, I really, really despised, whereas I like the way they did it in the TV show, mostly because I feel like it took away Alice's agency. I mean, it did. It took away Alice's agency in the book. And in the TV show, she seems to have her own agency a lot more. Also, the books really do Julia dirty in a way that the TV show does not. Mm. And... You're right, we're trapped in Quentin's head. Whereas in the TV show, we get to really get to know Margot and Elliot, who are my favorite characters in the TV show, and I feel like are barely touched on in the book. Margot's not even named Margot. You can't get mad at that, it was first. No, no, I mean like, that's yeah. how that's how inconsequential they are. They were renamed in the TV show and it didn't make a difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can really say that. They... I don't like it, but they do that a lot when they adapt stuff. Like, really non-significant character name changes. Like, Well, I assume they did it because they thought it would be confusing with there being a Janet and a Julia. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. My thing for it's always them changing uh, Cheryl from the Silent Hill games to Sharon in the Silent Hill movie. And I'm like, it's such a small change... That seems weirdly unnecessary. Yeah, I'm like, why did you bother? Like, I guess it shouldn't bother me because it's such a small change, but it just seems like a kind of F you to the people who like the game. That is bizarre. I don't even know what to do with that. But, uh, yeah, honestly, honestly, just read the first Magician's book. Because the... Or just watch the TV series. Don't read the books at all. Just read the TV series. I do Just re- read the TV series. Just watch the TV series. I do really like the first uh, the first book. And I really like parts of the second book. I like the, the heist. I like, uh, I'm sorry, the third book. I like yeah. the heist in the third book and the bit with What's-Her-Face. Um, you know, the Brackville student who ends up being part of the heist. That girl. Mm-hmm. When she's got that... Uh, like the small vengeance club that she has at Brackbills. I'm like, that was really cool. I wish it wasn't just like two chapters of the, you know, book where it switches to her narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just feel like you can skip all the books. I, I, 
by all means, skip the second and third book. Hmm. I, I, I did my summary of the books on, on Tumblr once, and my summary of the books was, the first book is, going to a magic school isn't as much fun as you think it would be. The second book is, going to Narnia isn't as much fun as you think it would be. And the third book is, the Magician's Trilogy isn't as much fun as you thought it would be. <sighs> I really like the first one, uh, although it's been a bit since I've, I basically only kind of hit the highlights when I'm rereading, mm. and uh, a part of it got posted to the men writing women thing, uh, Twitter, and I'm yeah. like, okay, it's really bad, and I immediately went to, but, you know, it's Quentin, and Quentin's supposed to be, like, the worst person ever. It's him talking about um, one of the female paramedics taking away... Uh, the dead guy he finds at the beginning of the book i mean that's an argument for it but yeah no but it's like okay so he can convincingly wrote an awful yeah yeah which quentin is awful he's so much more likable in the tv show because he'd have to be because you can't follow a guy around for a whole tv show yeah well the tv show kind of does a sookie stackhouse thing where it flushes out the characters in the book that didn't actually have personalities at all because otherwise we'd just be you, you can't shoot a whole tv series from inside Sookie's head honestly i'm surprised that charlene harris got as many books out of that as she did so many books i read them all <laughs> she was kind of just repeating herself after a while was anyone invested in quinn the Were tiger like it's Al Seed's plot again, but kind of different because the guy turns into a tiger this time. I mean, I wasn't invested in that particular romance, but I was still invested in who Sookie was going to end up with. Well, obviously it wasn't going to be Quinn the Were-Tiger. Yeah, no, not Quinn the Were-Tiger. Like, he's a real late middle love interest. A real Riley? Yeah. Yeah, he's a Riley. Where you're like, he's she's dated worse, I guess. There's nothing wrong with Quinn the Were-Tiger. But you know he's not going to be the one she ends up with. So back in Charmed, Prue and Piper have gone to the apartment of the assassin. They got her address from her belongings that they went through. And Prue immediately notices how much expensive art and antiques she has around her house. Yeah, wow, there sure is a lot of fancy stuff I could sell at my auctioneering job. Auctioneering? Sure, why not? Also, look at all these clothes and wigs and disguises. Yes, okay, so when they look at all the wigs and all of, like, the prosthetic stuff that she has, they say she must always go disguised everywhere she is. There's probably no one who actually knows what she looks like, which is important for the plot of this episode, but they show all of the wigs that she has, and we never have Prue, who is going to impersonate her, wear any of these wigs. So I'm forced to think that we only looked at the wigs to just really hammer home that this is Sydney Bristow. So Prue does the thing one would immediately do when entering a dead woman who you killed's house. Tries on her nicest jacket. Yeah. Which, this is a very... I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this to not sound like one of the men writing women men. This is a very chesty episode for uh, Shannon Doherty. 
Well, I mean, it is, yeah. We're really dipping into the fan service that'll really dominate the show later. Pun vaguely intended. I I thought you were going to say that the jacket is very, very late 90s, early 2000s, and that it's a pleather jacket with a floofy fur collar. Yeah. 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 So, Prue also notices that there are flowers in the hall that have been sent to Ms. Hellfire by an admirer named Bane. Bane. God. And just as she notices this, a bunch of armed goons come in and are like, are you the assassin? And Prue's like, okay, I guess I am. Piper freezes time so that they can run away, but Prue's like, no, no, no. I'm going to go and pretend to be the assassin. That definitely seems like the right move in this instance. Yeah. So these are, I guess, the... Okay, these are the henchmen of the guy who hired Ms. Hellfire to kill all of the witches. But that guy was himself hired by a demon to get all of the witches killed. Okay, so there, there are three guys here. Two of them are, like, bouncers, or I guess whatever the evil version of bouncers is. I think those are also just bouncers. The roughs. The heavies. And they're reporting to that one Weasley guy you knew from high school. Mm-hmm. And he is the assistant of an assassination headhunter, middle manager guy. A head, a, an assassination middle manager, yeah. Yeah. So, I guess... He, like, he runs an assassination agency that outsourced this job to Ms. Hellfire, and now he wants to talk to her because not all the victims are dead? Yes, although I think he does all sorts of crime, not just assassinations. Hmm. He's he's the fixer. He's the guy who knows the, the girl who will kill people. So we get a low-angle shot on, you know... Bane. <sighs> Bane, who's, he's got a real buffy college love interest aesthetic to him. He's wearing kind of a big floofy sweater, which isn't really selling the whole violent crime boss thing. Well, he's got kind of that 90s handsome, generically handsome look going. Yeah, he's he's calling out some other person who's failed him. And then he goes to hit on Prue with his dead eyes, by the way. Yeah, strong someone who's been on a soap opera for too long energy from this guy. He's like, hey, you're hot and I sent you roses. And she's like, I would have preferred orchids because that's what assassins prefer. And I am, in fact, an assassin. And he's like, oh, I can't believe it took me so long to meet you and your boobs. Let's go talk in private. And the little Weasley guy's like, I'm a little Weasley guy. You know I'm up to something. Uh, I just... They they couldn't find something leather to put this guy in. His outfit is taking me out of it so much. It does just look like they threw him on set in whatever that actor wore to set that day. Yeah. So... He's upset that the Hallowells aren't killed, but oh my god... Prue says that the other witch has been killed. She says it was... He, 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 he asks her, he's like, how did the Stedman case go? And she says, it was a blast. 
Prue. Prue, let me let me be clear too. Prue at this point doesn't know if Daryl and Phoebe were in time to save her. For all she knows, that woman did in fact blow up at ten o'clock. It was a blast. That's how assassins talk, right? Oh my god, it's so heartless. Oh, anyway, Prue's cell phone rings and Bane is like, no, go ahead, get it. I get it. You're a busy career woman. And it's Jack who's like, um, can we not get fired? Can you come back to work so we can not be fired, please? It's weird that whenever Jack is put in the romantic shoes, he's the worst person ever. But as one of Prue's co-workers, I feel so bad for this guy. I mean, I do. I really do. But also, given the fact that Prue does somehow magically seem to pull everything together, maybe everyone just needs to get off her back. He also starts the conversation by doing, like, the sort of double talk this can work for both an assassination or gathering artifacts for an auction. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of peters off with that. And I'm like... Was that a coincidence? Why did they decide to stop doing that like halfway through the... That is weird. That is weird. But she's like, look, I'm, I'm doing another thing right now. Don't worry. I'll, I'll handle the situation when the time comes. And she hangs up on Jack and Jack's like, useful, useful proof. Thanks. Bane insists on uh, driving Prue wherever she's going. And little Weasley guy pulls him aside and he's like... You can't trust her. She's just a hired gun. She'll go with whoever has the money, man. And Bane's like, hey, 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 shut up. I'm going to go have sex with this lady. You go do whatever Weasley thing you do normally. Go, go, leave. So the Weasley guys goes to Bane's office. And who should show up in Bane's office? <gasps> Barbus. This would be a genuinely good twist if uh, we hadn't been spoiling it the whole time. And also, it's pretty obvious if you remember the whole deal with Barbus from last season. Yes, which is that he can be brought back after, you know, killing 13 witches. I thought that this was going to seal him away for like 1,300 years or whatever, Prue defeating him by not being afraid, but eh. Well, he says that he made a deal with someone, you know, in hell. And I would imagine in hell you'd find lots of people to make deals with. Lots of, lots of devils down there. And he has 24 hours to kill 13 witches so that he can come back for real. That was his deal last time. Too. I'm sorry. If that if those were my parameters, I would just kill 13 other witches, not the Charmed Ones, and then I could focus on killing the Charmed Ones at my leisure. Yeah, they didn't notice that nine women had been killed, and they wouldn't have known about this other woman if the assassin hadn't shown up in their living room. With her murder book. With her murder book. Honestly, I feel like you don't bring a lot of the stuff she brought to, you know, an assassination you're doing. She had a lot of stuff in her purse for an assassin. That's true. So Barbus tells this hench guy what his power is, thus reminding us, the audience, that his power is to bring your fears to life. And Bane charges in and is like, you betrayed me and shoots him up. But of course, it's not real. It's just his biggest fear. This Weasley guy's biggest fear is being caught betraying Bane and then being shot for it. I, I was going to say, shouldn't he actually be dead from that? But That is the way Barbus's thing works, but I guess he can control it and he was just doing it as a demonstration. Yeah, I guess it is technically an illusion 
except for some it's an illusion but with some realistic bits like that woman wasn't actually trapped in an earthquake it was just stuff was falling off the shelves of her thing and Prue wasn't actually going to drown in the shower but there was more water in the shower than usual yeah maybe his power is not super consistent maybe it just does whatever the plot says but he's like look this is my power this is what i can do make sure the witches get dead okay so back at the manor piper is having a conversation with neighbor dan who lets us know that neighbor jenny is gone now neighbor jenny has left she is gone forever she's back with her parents now don't ask questions it's fine i mean it is i'm sure it's fine she's back with her parents he also asks piper what happened and she says it was a drive-by he says how do you know it was a drive-by and i'm like because they drove by they drove by and shot bullets at that through the windows that's what a drive-by is i mean that's not what happened but that's how if somebody told me something was a drive-by i wouldn't be like how do you know that's like it's like a ufo you know you're like i saw a ufo you're like that's not an unidentified object it is you don't know what it is it is therefore unidentified yeah like ufos are real things they're just objects that people don't know what they are unidentified flying object so phoebe shows up with the witch that they saved also by the way dan's a handyman no no he's not okay is it just that he's a man yes so and therefore he knows how to replace giant ass bay windows yes okay okay i know that he used to work for like the mariners as a baseball man but I guess that probably leaves you a lot of money to do whatever you want, you know, with your time. Yeah. I mean, don't all men know how to replace windows? <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's a man skill. As soon as you get your man card, they teach you how to do that. <laughs> but I don't want to talk about handyman skills. I mean, we can. But what I want to talk about is the fact that when Phoebe comes in with this witch and Piper freezes them because the woman's about to spill the beans about witches to neighbor Dan... She freezes, but as a good witch, she should not be affected by Piper's powers. Yeah, it's it's one of the really firmly established rules of Charmed. Good witches do not freeze. And, I mean, honestly, I don't think it should count. I don't think Barbara's killing those other women should count if he hired someone to do it. And we saw in the first episode with Barbus when he went into the magic shop... He did the weird spell thing over the book of people who were, like, members of the store mm-hmm. where all of the people who weren't active magic users' names disappeared off the thing. Right. Yeah. The first Barbus episode established that there are Wiccan practitioners who are witches for the purpose of this show, who have powers for the purpose of this show. So if she doesn't have powers to the extent that being frozen works on her she should not be working for the sacrifice yeah otherwise you could knock this whole thing out in one night by going to the drama club cast party yeah like it's not hard to find groups of wiccans out and about in the world like you could have just waited until that lady's store was you know open yeah open like also he really should be doing this himself I guess maybe you can do it by proxy. Hold on. I, I think he can't take physical form, although he still has his powers. I don't know. 
I don't know. Eh, Barbus never super makes sense. It it's like with Freddy Krueger where they just every movie comes up with some real vague BS way to kill him, so the movie can end. But you know there's gonna be another one. You know he's gonna come back. Like, yeah. Like it doesn't really matter how the movie ends. It doesn't matter how Barbus's powers work. It doesn't. Barbus Barbus's whole deal doesn't matter. Barbus is just the MacGuffin. He's just the uh, the magical MacGuffin that gets us through. Just enjoy Billy Draco. He's so much fun to watch. So Bane, back in the Bane seducing Ms. Hellfire, who's really Prue plot. Bane is like doing this weird thing where he's hitting on her, but also. He needs her to finish the job. It's really uncomfortable for me in the way it is like when a boss hits on you. Like, you have a professional relationship. I know she's a freelancer, but you have a professional relationship. This is really inappropriate. Yeah, he's like, here's a giant diamond necklace for you. And also, if you don't kill the three Hollowell sisters, I'm going to kill you. But if you do and I don't have to kill you, you want a date? And Prue's like, what yes right like exactly also he tells her that they need to be dead by midnight and then he's like actually i need you to kill them by 10 so that if you f up i can you know jump in and take care of it i can slot in more witches oh i a man will successfully be able to kill these other witches well i think he he would just call in another assassin Mm. so apparently Daryl, like, just sort of paid the morgue guy. Daryl told the girls when he was at the manor that he would get people to, he said, keep Ms. Hellfire on ice. To not report everything to the authorities, but that he could only give them 24 hours. So presumably he had a friend who was a morgue worker. Yeah. And he was like, hey, just hang on to this body for a bit, but wait till I file reports or whatever. So. Apparently he had the body filed under the name of the lady who was supposed to be blown up. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why Barbos is checking on like the last victim. And he uses his powers on the morgue guy to have him experience his greatest fear, which is being autopsied himself. Although if you're alive and you're going through an autopsy, it's a vivisection, but. Well, I mean, I think that's a good fear for him to have, right? His thoughts are, wait, what if when people die, they're actually still conscious in their bodies, and as I cut them open, they're aware of me doing it, even though they can't tell me it? That's a, that's a good fear. That's a good fear. Yeah. I mean, from a story perspective, not from, like, a to-have-it perspective. Yeah, here, fears don't have to be logical. Um... No, no, I mean, it would, I mean, it's really scary. It would, be a, it would be a bad thing to have as an intrusive thought. It'd be like watching that Hayden Christensen movie, Awake forever i actually feel like there was a an outer limits episode with that plot Mm. but the weaselly guy who worked for bane thought that there was something up so barbus investigates they pull out the drawer that's supposed to be the dead woman who was blown up and barbus says oh she doesn't look like an explosion victim to me because you know she was shot Mm. fair although it's entirely possible that Ms. Hellfire just had to go in and finish the job herself. Like, with a gun. With a gun. And honestly, it was a blast. Kind of works with a gun. Not as well, but, you know. Yeah. But he wasn't there when she said that. Yeah, that's right, so. Whatever. She could have just used a different way to kill her. 
back at the manor, the woman who's not a witch is being all critical of the way Prue and Piper and Phoebe store their herbs. She's like, the harmonic resonances of these herbs are in conflict. And we're supposed to laugh at her because, haha, she's not a real witch. I don't like that. I really don't like that either, especially in this show when we know this stuff actually matters. We haven't hit the big time travel episode yet where they go back in time and uh, deliver Melinda Warren. Uh-huh. And they have to learn old-timey witchcraft, which right. is all this stuff. Yes! And then they never use it again. Anyway, Prue comes home and Phoebe looks at her assassin outfit and is like, Wow, that's a pretty boob-tastic outfit, Prue. Which is quite a thing for Phoebe to say, considering that she's wearing an outfit that exposes her entire stomach. But whatever. <laughs> Alyssa Milano did 10,000 crunches, and she wants you to know it. Look, she looks great. I don't want to, like, criticize what she wants to wear. I'm just saying she shouldn't be saying anything about Prue showing skin considering what she's wearing. Mm. So Prue fills her in on the 13 dead witches by midnight thing, and they all realize that must be Barbus, which... Duh. Really? I thought the opposite of that. I thought that was quite a leap to make because I'm sure there are lots of different rituals that involve killing 13 witches. Actually, that's a really good point. Yeah. And they thought that they had banished Barbus, but... They saw Billy Drago's name in the opening credits. They know what's up. There you go. So Phoebe also thinks that uh, Prue might want to actually get it on with Bane. This is going to be a running thing for Prue throughout the show. There's going to be like a one episode thing where her astral projection self is having an affair with a criminal guy and they have, like, a Bonnie and Clyde thing going. Mm-hmm. This is basically the only romantic thing uh, Prue gets after uh, not being with Jack Sheridan. He, she gets one-off bad boy love interests. Yes. She, she loves the bad boys. Okay. So, Prue goes to a bar to meet Bane. And she changes her outfits first. So... More dead women's clothes. Well, that's the thing, right? She was at the manor. She must have had to go back to Ms. Hellfire's house to get more clothes. And now she's wearing a teeny tiny top and a giant fur coat over it. Pleather pants, tiny top, gigantic fur coat. And she's basically wearing a leather bra. Feminism! She's Ms. Hellfire. Oh my goodness. Yeah, this is uh, this is just a preview of what the show will eventually turn into, but she's like, Hi, I've been a bad girl. A bad girl who kills people for money. And Bane's like, oh yeah, tell me about how bad you are. And she's like, I'm real bad. You should stick your tongue in my ear. Like, you know, a professional would. <laughs> She also tells Bane that she wants her money now. She tells Bane that bitch better have her money. God. And, uh... He's like, but you haven't done the job yet! And she's like, you know what? I want to speak to the guy who hired you. And he's like, isn't the point of hiring a middleman for this sort of thing that you don't ever speak to the client? And she's like, hey, what if I do a sexy dance against you? And he's like, eh, okay. I'm convinced! This scene is so much fan service. So little happens in this scene. So little exposition or action. It's just about 
Shannon Doherty macking on this guy and wearing very little clothing. <laughs> oh. And then the Weasley guy comes in and is like, hey, boss, um, can I, can I talk to you alone? Because I'm pretty sure that that woman is not actually an assassin. By the way, we kind of skipped over it, but when they figured out it was Barbus and Prue's like, I need to go back undercover to, you know, uncover him. Piper's like, what if he uses your fear against you? And Prue's like, I conquered my fear of drowning. And Piper's like, oh, I guess you have no fears then. I guess your lady no fear and there's nothing he can do against you because you're not directly afraid of drowning because mom's ghost hauled your ass out of the water that one time. Hey, you remember a couple episodes ago when you were afraid of drowning because of that lake monster? It's true, she was. That was like last week. The, uh, whatever, whatever. Back at the manor, the witch is casting a protection spell on the manor and... We do, we get one of those uh, transitions you talked about liking earlier where Prue calls the manor to check in and make sure that, uh, you know, Lucy Goodwitch is still alive and kicking. And they're like, Piper's like, well, she's not going to be alive and kicking much longer if she keeps on annoying me. Okay. Her protection spell worked. Daryl saved her life. Also, I don't think you should be mocking her. But Piper does not feel like dealing with her, so she just freezes her. Not cool. Not cool. Anyway, then neighbor Dan shows up, even though it's like the middle of the night. Well, I guess I he, guess that makes was, sense. He's got to cover up the windows. Yeah, he, he got a giant piece of plywood, you know, for window covering. He mentions his crew, so I guess he is a contractor. Okay, so, so basically in this show, all men have this as like a secondary thing. Yes. Yes, all men's secondary mutation is handiwork. Uh, okay. So, Piper walks Dan, like, very quickly past the frozen witch. Who they've <laughs> covered with an afghan. Yeah. Rude. Rude. And then once she gets him past the girl, Phoebe hustles her upstairs and is like, why don't you bless our rooms upstairs? This is a pretty big house, probably. Keep her busy. There's not going to be a lot of body French farce here. <laughs> yes. So Piper starts talking to Dan about their boring, awful relationship. Yeah, he just, he really wants to, like, DTR, and she's just not ready. Although she does kiss him, so that's good for him, I guess. He's like, I want to know where this relationship's going. Do Do you want to commit to me? And she's like... Jesus effing Christ, Dan, we've been on, like, three vacations in the very short period of time I've known you. He wants her to move into his place and leave her sister's, and it's like, you're already next door. Calm down. Yeah. Calm down. Yeah, now that neighbor Jenny is gone, he's like, hey, why don't you move into my house and, I guess, take care of me because... Oh, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. It's like, oh, now that there's no female person staying at my house, I need someone else who knows how to do laundry and run a dishwasher. Alternatively, now that my uh, teenage niece is no longer in my house, we can just have sex everywhere as loud as we want. Well, I mean, one of those things... If, is... if you're being more generous. Yes, yes, one of those things is more generous than the other. <laughs> Anyway, back at the club, Bane brings Prue into a back room where Barbus is waiting for her. And he's like, hey, 
you're super afraid that your sisters are going to be killed by demons. So I'm using my powers to trick you into thinking that your sisters are demons that you need to kill. And Peru's like, I don't think that's how your powers work. And he's like, everything's, you know, everything works the way I say it works. You think your sisters are demons. Go kill them now. And she's like, I'm not gonna. Yeah, Prue now believes that her sisters are demons who have taken her sister's place and are just pretending to be her sisters. So she's gonna go kill them. Meanwhile, Phoebe's filling in Daryl on the situation and doing a really bad job of it. And Daryl's like, okay, you neither... You either need to explain a lot more or a lot less. You're not giving me a workable amount of information right now. And Phoebe's like, look, just don't worry about it. Just keep keep every, keep every all the farce going. We'll handle it. So at this point, Phoebe and Piper are starting to get worried about Prue because she hasn't checked in yet. And of course, as you know, she she's, thinks they're demons, so they're right to be worried. Mm. <laughs> and... They are going to shuffle the witch off with Daryl because they're so tired of dealing with her, which, again, I will say it again, rude. Rude, right? It's pretty rude. She's got she's got some sort of protection liquid inside of an atomizer, by the way, that she's spraying around, and I really like that. Again, it feels like the show's teasing us by, not so much here, but... They keep introducing characters that would be really interesting additions to the secondary cast. We've talked about Aviva. We've talked about that kid with the psychokinesis. This lady, honestly, even played as a joke, could have been a good reoccurring character for the show. Yeah, yeah. So Piper and Phoebe go to Ms. Hellfire's apartment where Prue is, and Prue starts attacking them because she thinks they're imposters. By the way, she's not wearing the giant coat anymore. Now she's just wearing the leather bra. She looks kind of like a Mortal Kombat character. I mean, she looks good. She clearly did like a million sit-ups to prepare for this episode. Yeah. But Phoebe yells to Piper to freeze her. And Piper says, good witches don't freeze, remember? Mm, so Like, it would have been one thing to ignore it this episode when you froze the other witch. But you specifically reminded us of it so they decide to split up so that prue will astral project and that will weaken her somehow i don't get how this plot's supposed to work like they go in two different directions and then prue astrally projects and then they join up together and start running from the one prue together how does the how is the situation different I'm not sure what the plan is. They they do the thing that you do in TV where they tell her all the things that only they would know about her. Which wouldn't... If, I mean, I... Okay, fine. I was going to say... I mean, it, it, it does work. Yeah, and then Prue joops back into her body. Maybe, maybe they made her uh, astral project so she couldn't use telekinesis against them. Can her astral oh, self not use telekinesis? Her astral self can't use telekinesis. That is why they did it. I'm okay. not sure that is ever consistent in this show, but sure, okay. I'm not. You're. I, I'm not really sure why their plan worked, but it did. It did. Now she is no longer thinking that they're imposters. So. And she's like, with the three of us working together, we can show Barbus what his greatest fear is: us three working together. Yes. 
Also, it's three minutes to midnight, so things are not good. Yeah. And uh, Barbus is like, hey, hey, Bane, I'm blaming you for this, even though maybe I should have done the job myself. And then the sisters show up. What? You know what? They could have not done anything. They could have just not shown up and just waited for the three minutes to be up. Okay, whatever. They charge in. Piper freezes Bane, who's about to shoot them. And... Prue asks, can you just unfreeze Bane? And Piper's like, eh, I mean, I guess I can try. I mean, we talked about how in this episode we see more of Prue's power in that she gets her astral projection. This is actually an advance of Piper's power in that she unfreezes Bane, but not Barbus. Hmm. Later in the show, we do get some cool stuff where she freezes someone's body, but unfreezes their head so she can talk to them. Yeah. They keep him frozen for three minutes. And then it's midnight. The end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is the taking a knee of the Charmed Ones, but they could have taken a knee back at Ms. Hellfire's apartment is what I'm saying. They could have just gone out for late night burritos and not worried about this at all. Well, I guess the point was that they had to, like, throw Bane against the wall and also let him know that Daryl was going to come arrest him. Yeah, and Prue's like... I hope you rethink, uh, I hope you rethink your naughty actions when you're in jail. And Bane's like, you give me a lot to think about while I'm in jail. <laughs> and Prue's like, oh, who, huh? And Piper's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> what is any of this? Seriously, Prue? Back at the manor, the windows are fixed. Yay. And Piper decides that she's not going to move in with neighbor Dan because, you know, she needs to stay with her sisters. And also, he's right next door. Honestly, that's the ideal situation. Whatever. Yeah. Phoebe points out the kind of salient point. She's like, you need to stick with your sisters because, you know, demons are attacking all the time. And... <laughs> yeah, they're the charmed ones. So... There's not really a good reason for them not to all live in the same house at any point other than, I guess, for personal reasons, but eh. Eh. I feel like safety kind of ranks higher than that. Okay, so can we talk about how Prue wraps up her work plot line? Okay, so apparently Prue manifests destinied Ms. Hellfire's apartment. And she got all of the stuff they needed for auction money by taking all of the dead woman's stuff. She says, and she says that it was an anonymous donation from an estate, but I'm pretty sure that when something is an anonymous donation, the auction house still needs to know the provenance of it and know that it's not hot, especially when it's things like famous paintings she says that there's a Dali, a Salvador Dali painting and a Hockney painting. Like, these are things that are very, very well kept track of. Like, also, there's no way they're not hot. She was a, a criminal who made her living through crime stuff. Well, maybe she earned money through crime stuff and then bought stuff. I guess. I just, 
it feels like that's not the sort of thing you want being able to be tracked back to you. I yeah, no, I guess that's true. I I I, I mean whatever. Jack Sher- <laughs> Jack Sheridan comes and he's like, "Okay, so you just found a whole bunch of dead lady stuff and I feel like you're being massively unprofessional, Prue." And Prue's like, "Whatever. I'm still horny from that guy I sent to jail. Let's go fuck Jack." And Jack's like, "Oh." Here's, here, okay, here's I guess. the thing. It would make sense if he was like, uh, you can't just show up and be like, hey, here's a bunch of very, very valuable things that I'm just claiming we can sell. He he should be calling her out on that. But he's not calling her out on that. He's just like, wow, you really are a great auctioneer, I guess. I, I, I don't know. All right, so I believe that'll take us to our segments. I'm, I'm guessing from the gasp I just heard that you've IMDb'd something great. Uh, let's dive into our own power of three. Our first power is premonition, where we look into the past, present, and future of whatever guest stars are in this episode and uh, see who is, was, or will become famous. Uh, we've got a few people we've had before, Lachlan Monroe as Jack Sheridan. He's Betty Cooper's dad. You've seen him in other stuff. Uh, Billy Drago as Barbus. You've seen him as the bad guy in a lot of B-movies and, and a lot of TV shows. He's been the villain in a lot of stuff. He's got a real villain face, although apparently a very nice guy. Um, well, the witch who isn't really a witch... Yeah, she looked kind of familiar. I was thinking she might have been one of Phoebe's co-workers on Friends. Maybe that was where I reco- uh, recognized her from. I'm uh, not sure about that. All right. And I wouldn't expect you to recognize her face. Oh my god, is it Tara Strong? No, that would be amazing. No, it's uh, it's Hinden Walsh, who is a voice actress who is Princess Bubblegum. She's Starfire, isn't And she? is Starfire! Oh my god! <laughs> wow! Oh wow! I, I'm glad that the world did her better than that, you know. After the Hollowells were so rude to her, I'm glad she got to go on and be Starfire and Princess Bubblegum. Yeah, way to go. That is a solid career. And she's not Tara Strong, but she's been working consistently for decades. Yeah, I mean, she's in a lot of other stuff. Those are just her two biggest roles. Hmm. I think that... I think she also does one of the Sims voices in The Sims. Ooh. With their, like... The Sims... Simlish. Yeah, Simish. Yeah, they just... They have, like, a babble language. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, yes, that is my... Um, that is my premonition. Yeah, that's that's basically it for premonitions. Uh, the Weasley guy and Bane have been in stuff, but not in a not in a oh it's that guy kind of way. It more more in a oh it's that guy kind of recognized way, not in a oh it's so and so from X. Right, right. All right, our next segment is time freeze. What specifically dates this episode? Other than it being an alias parody. Oh, God. Aggressively at being an alias parody. Uh, postal worker jokes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just aggressively dated. But mostly the alias thing. 
Charmed will do this a few more times. There's going to be an episode that is just Pirates of the Caribbean verbatim for no reason. They're just fighting the pirates from Pirates of the Caribbean. And then they reference Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, why not? Sure. So, I think that'll about do it for Time Freeze. That'll take us to our last segment. Telekinesis. What, if anything, genuinely moved you this episode? Okay. This episode... This is a perfectly serviceable episode it washed over me like a cool wave and left no impression like as i was watching it i thought wow this episode feels really short it feels like we got in and got out and it touched me in no ways but also was completely inoffensive and a charming way to spend 40 minutes no pun intended right so i'm pitching a uh a new potential power in our pack. Oh, oh, an astral projection power? An astral projection. What moment was so cringy it made you want to actively leave your body? Okay, you, you're you just springing this on me. I love this new power, and I do have one! All right, hit me with it. Okay, and it works perfectly because it involves Prue's very first astral projection. Because when she astral projects, her body just, like, slumps down in the middle of a conversation with Jack. And then when she jumps back into her body, she's like, I'm sorry, I can't deal with you right now. And I'm just like, <laughs> but you've, you've talked to people before, right? Mine was when she was having the sexy dance with Bane. I was like, oh my god, what is the point of this? What is the point of this Prue? Ah, uh, I don't want to be here. Oh my god, I love this new power. I'm very excited for this new power. <laughs> oh, oh, I think I think it might come up next week when we actually do the Cupid episode. Oh, good. Or, oh, good. <laughs> so I guess that does it for us this week. Yeah, I guess that'll about do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be located at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Hallwell Manor. <laughs>